0: Welcome in to another episode of We're Talking Tonight. We're talking football, Sunbelt Conference football, Georgia Southern football, lots of football tonight. So, but we're talking with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Um, Danny, how are you this evening?
1: Craig, I'm doing very well. I hope you are too. I am. I am. It's
0: It's been a interesting week to say the least and a, a fun Saturday, last Saturday. I don't think I... That was one Saturday that I wish I did not work in the radio booth and I, or, or that we were playing at home or whatever the case may be. And I could have sat on my happy behind and, and just watch football all weekend. And the majority of it would have been Sunbelt conference football. So (laughs) not often you can well, well, I should say in the past, it wasn't something that you could say that. So. Uh, let's move right along, though. We usually save your team for last, but let's jump right in. Uh, 409 yards passing. I meant to look to see if that was a, a Georgia Southern record in passing yards. Second, the man sticks up two fingers. I meant to look that up, but uh, I tried to grab a quick shower and didn't have time. So, so tell me about your quarterback. 37-56. Like I said, 409 yards. Great outing for him.
1: Yeah, he he showed a little bit the week before what he was capable of, but you didn't exactly know what you had because it was against an FCS team. Even so, it was was 367 and four touchdowns to four different receivers. He had 10 different guys, so he was certainly spreading the ball around. Game plan-wise, I think Georgia Southern ran more plays against Nebraska than they did Going back to 2016, that night against ULM, they ran 88 plays. It's hard to believe that's been six years ago. But the Eagles ended up snapping it 86 times. You mentioned the 409 passing as part of 642 total. It was him having a really good grasp of what Nebraska was doing coverage-wise. He made some NFL throws. Some of them were fastballs. Some of them were back-shoulder throws. And there were others where he put great touch on him. I could think about one up the sideline that Jalen White caught with one hand at the end of the second quarter. And then the one with just over a minute left, it was third and three. Caleb Hudez, man-for-man coverage on the slot. There was a high safety, but he was too far over to the other side of the field. And he just lofted it beautifully over the shoulder, diving catch for 27 yards. Two plays later, Eagles are in the end zone and celebrating a victory. Over a Big Ten team, second time they've ever won a Power Five game. But for Trees to not only throw for 409, which nobody had reached that number since Tracy Ham in the 85 National Championship game against Furman, and then the call at the end, the quarterback draw that Brian Ellis called out of an empty backfield, it was an amazing call the way that they set it up the entire night. He checked a number of times to plays that resulted in touchdowns. And you could just tell the way he communicated with his offensive line. It seemed that whatever Nebraska was going to do on defense, he had a feel for it. And for Georgia Southern to score 45 points there, and we mentioned all the offense, nobody had put up that many yards at Memorial Stadium against Nebraska. And the stadium's 100 years old. So it, it really was historic what he was able to do. And they needed every bit of it to beat a Nebraska team that was pretty adept on offense. But neither team really was able to stop the other. But I think the part of the game that gets overlooked is that Georgia Southern got three and outs at the start of each half and didn't let Nebraska set the tone. It was the Eagles that got touchdowns on their first two drives to begin the game. And even though Nebraska did come back and take the lead, it never felt like it was their game. It felt like it was Georgia Southern's game from the start.
0: Well, you know, you mentioned two things there. What I'd like to go back to is the 409 passing was second. And uh, it it was the other one was in a championship game. But this has got to be the most against uh, Prob Well, if it's second, it is it is the most. Never mind. We'll go on. But uh, second victory against a P5 school. Who was the first one?
1: In what that would year? have been Florida in 2013, Georgia Southern's final game in the FCS right before they came to the Sun Belt.
0: Wow. That's a nice uh, how do you do and letting everybody else know, uh, you know, we're here.
1: Yeah, it was a nice parting gift because that team knew that they weren't going to go to the playoffs. They couldn't win a Southern Conference championship. So they looked at that Florida game. They knew it was going to be the last game. That was the bowl. That was them going to Chattanooga or Frisco, wherever the, <laughs> the FCS title game was going to be held that year. And admittedly, Florida was down a little bit. I think they were on their fourth string quarterback. But still, you go to Gainesville, you go to the Swamp, a place where many, many teams have met a dark fate. And to come back from 10-0 down, win that game, had a pass break up on the last two plays, and being able to celebrate at that time was one of the biggest moments in the history of the program. It takes nine years, but these guys, with all that they have gone through in their careers, even for the guys that just got here, Within the last few months that were brought into this program, somebody like a Terese who's only been around for a little while, to be part of getting Georgia Southern back on track and to pick up a program-defining win in Clay Helton's second game as head coach, that, that's a big deal.
0: Well, I, I will tell you this. you're I just find it amazing. The te- a team is not good enough to go to the FCS playoffs, which, which I know it's still hard to do, but at the same time can beat a Power 5 team. I don't care who you are.
1: And in that game, Georgia Southern did not complete a pass. They had more than 400 yards rushing. They were 0 for three passing. They're actually nine and 0 in school history when they don't complete a pass. So maybe there's something to it. I know things are dramatically <laughs> different now with, with the philosophy and the scheme, but that, that is a stat that Eagle fans like to bring up a lot. When you talk about being able to commit to a run game.
0: That, that is uh, that is an amazing stat. Um, Uh, let's talk uh, a little bit more about the game you mentioned it looks like the game went back and forth unfortunately our game was going on at the same time as yours uh we had the tv flipping around which we don't we don't control uh the uh, game management people control uh moving it to the florida game obviously interest with building napier but uh jay and i were following it closely and i'm matter of fact i showed on my phone when you guys had won the game because 30 seconds earlier, he had mentioned that you guys were, you know, the game was almost over and you were holding on and I gave him the news of y'all winning. So uh, both very happy, but 20, 28, 28 at the half. And you mentioned, uh, coming out each half, stopping them, but scoring it, it wasn't, I mean, was it one of those things that looks like Georgia state was able to score touchdowns except for one field goal. Um, is that just, you know, just to change in philosophy a little bit, I I mean, I don't know. I mean, it seems like a a power five opponent. You're going to, you're going to kick field goals. Did you have to go for it on fourth down?
1: Only, only once only went for fourth down once. And God, if that was on that drive, it was a fourth down and two. They ran a slant on the right side to Derwin Burgess. And he made a nine yard reception. He caught four balls that drive to help set up the game winning touchdown. He had, more than 10. And that actually happened in back-to-back games back in 08.
0: Yep. I'm sorry. I'm, I messed up on the, you had froze for a second. So I tried to hit pause, but you got right back in there. So I apologize to those listening.
1: And then Jeremy Singleton caught nine balls on the other side. And that would have been the fourth most in school history. He was, he was one of the ones that caught the back shoulder throw from Van Treese during the first half. It was a 20 yard catch on the third down. And, and that's another thing. Georgia Southern's been ridiculous on third down so far. They're 20 of 30 on the year, 67%. I think that's third best in the country going into week three. But for a team that has the offensive capability to throw the football like that, it doesn't seem like there's a third down that they haven't been able to get so far. But most of them have been between five and eight yards. So they've been able to do a decent enough job where they're not getting into, into bad situations. But the the way that they have spread people out and force teams to respect the run i mean the first two games georgia southern's thrown it 102 times and that's very atypical of georgia southern it's has only happened in that way a handful of times in the four decades of the program but people still have it in their minds that georgia southern has the ability to run the football and they're right because they do Jalen White and Gerald Green are all conference caliber backs. They were understudies for a couple of years. Now they're getting a chance to be the co-starters. OJ Arnold, who we talked about before, the freshman from from Quitman and Irwin County, or Brooks County, I'm sorry. He scores two touchdowns in that first game against Morgan State, just to let people know you can focus on them, but if 22 gets in the game, I can hurt you too, but While they're worrying about that, you've got this really deep and talented group of fast receivers with Burgess, with Singleton in the slot. You've got Amari Jones. You've got Darius Lewis. You've got Caleb Hood, who's on the verge of going over 1,000 career yards this weekend against UAB. They have a system where they just get their best guys the ball in situations where they can do something with it. Any quarterback can throw to any receiver, but what Van Treese is so good at, he can spread the ball around, and it just works out that it's to guys that are in the right spot. And I think Brian Ellis does a commendable job as a play caller to set things up where he can incorporate a lot of that talent and make sure everybody is getting their touches. But Van Tree still has to have the cannon to get the ball where it needs to be, whether it's in the slot, whether it's on the outside, whether it's fades, comebacks, stops, back shoulder throws, whatever – he just gets it. He, he he understands where the ball needs to go. He understands how to check and give it to his running backs, and if it's a run play, he knows how to check and get his receivers involved. He just has such a keen sense of how this machine is supposed to operate. And I know it's only been two games, but his command of the field and his command of those guys has been remarkable. It really has.
0: I, you know, the, the score indicates it, all the stats indicated. Both teams were nine of 13 on a third down conversion. You guys were two of two on fourth down. But the amazing stat to me was you only punted one time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In the third quarter.
0: That, I mean, in, you know, both teams kicked a field well, attempted a field goal. You made yours, they missed theirs.
1: Yeah. We were okay that they missed theirs.
0: <laughs> I, I i understand now when i say you you know they were statistically everything was close you you did out um 60 66 yards more total offense than they did but you know looking at average play 7.5 to 7.1 uh you know they had 10 penalties you only had three and your yeah. three were only for 15 yards
1: so. yeah they were all false they were all false starts and two of those you point you brought up earlier that it was 28 28 at half georgia southern got called for two illegal snaps within a couple play span in the last one they were out of timeout so they couldn't stop a running clock inside of 10 seconds they would have had time for a field goal if they would have had a timeout because they could have used it instead of the time being run off at the end of the first half and then they had another false start in the third quarter but Six penalties in two games has been a hidden storyline, but I think it's pretty major considering the way that this whole team has come together and they've been as disciplined as they have over those first 120 minutes of football. But I think about how the defense did enough. I mean, let's be honest, the numbers aren't great, but they still did enough. They got those two three and outs at the beginning of each half. They had two sacks. And on offense, you know, 409 is the number that's going to get tossed around, and it should because that's great against anybody. But the Eagles also ran for 233. That's the number that makes Eagle fans – that it makes their hearts feel good because that's the offense that they know. They know the ground and pound, all the running game, leading the country or at least being at the top of the country and rushing yards and yards per carry. Gerald Green was a revelation. He comes in his first play. He busts a 67-yard run off right tackle. Big hole was created thanks to Logan Langmeier, the center. And the first two weeks of the season, I think Pro Football Focus has called him the top run blocker in the country. So that's always nice to be able to bring up. But then Green also has a 47-yard touchdown run later on in the quarter. Jalen White scored two touchdowns. He had a 26-yard run on a third down play where The middle of the field just was wide open. All he had to do was beat the safety coming up from deep, put a move on him in the middle of the field, and finish that off. So if teams are worried about the pass, then there is going to be a game where Georgia Southern runs it 50 times. But if they start focusing on those running backs, then you've got all this talent on the outside that Vantrese is more than capable of getting the ball to.
0: I was about to ask you a question was my next follow up question to it, but you meant you, you brought it up the big runs because you only had nine rushing first downs. You had 21 passing. You would think with 230 yards rushing uh, plus yards rushing that you would get more than nine first downs, but big plays, I guess.
1: Very efficient. Very, very efficient. And, you know, Brian Ellis has this definition of balance. People automatically think, well, it's the same amount of runs as passes but for this team balance is making sure that what you do is not what they think you're going to do when they set up to think you're running you're able to throw if they're going to drop eight you're able to run the football balance is what makes your offense unpredictable
0: yeah balance to me is is very same thing as is is keeping your opponent off balance correct But uh, lastly, uh, i just touch on it. Nebraska had the ball almost four minutes more than you guys did. To me, that's another, you know, but everything's equal. But four minutes seems like a huge in a time of possession game that was so close.
1: So one thing that's been funny about this transition is Georgia Southern has been a team that's won the time of possession battle 13 consecutive years. And when you run the ball as much as the Eagles do, you're going to have it for 32, 33 minutes a game without even batting an eyelash. But now with the tempo being so quick and you're running as many plays as possible, time of possession is not something that is looked at as being at the top of the list. Now, later on this season, if the Eagles get into spots where they're going to run the football a lot, then yeah, that'll that'll be a major stat. But for a while, it was well, you know Georgia Southern's going to win time of possession by the nature of the offense. They were huddling, they'd work the play clock down, they'd snap it between five and zero, they'd get to third and short and they'd pick up their predictable first downs. But now, it's how fast can we get down the field, whether it's with the pass or the run, and then get the ball back from the other offense so you can do it again and just keep on going and so on and so forth.
0: Well, I know it at, at, at a game that's uh you know what the uh 45 42 doesn't sound like it's defense but it sounds like your defense came up big when they needed to so
1: yeah and the the end of the game a couple of things happened there were 36 seconds left after van treese's touchdown run and the ensuing kickoff nebraska had fair caught a couple they decided to run it out it cost them six seconds That could have been one more play to maybe get them closer so it wouldn't have had to have been a 52-yard field goal. And the other part of it is that on their final play, Trey Palmer, the LSU transfer, is the one that made the catch. He ran to the sideline, but he tiptoed a little bit to try to gain as much as he could and make it – I mean, it was still a 52-yard field goal, but to get as close as he could. The snap was with 10 seconds. It took till one second on the clock. So if he stays in bounds one more step the game's over. Interesting. But I'm
0: going to have to go find that game somewhere on on one of the uh, devices and go look at it cuz I mean by all accounts like I said we we were following it, it sounded like I heard your call at the end of the game. I know you were excited but also uh a little choked up probably too. So well congratulations to Georgia Southern and yourself. I know that was big time uh, for any program at any point. so
1: yeah, you're you're hoping that you ever you ever get a chance to just be in those games and Georgia Southern's been in a lot of them ever since the Florida win, just haven't gotten that win. They've had near misses against NC State, against Georgia, against Georgia Tech, against Minnesota, so close so many times. but to finally do it, especially being down before your final drive, then get enough of a stop where the field goal isn't a chip shot and you're going to overtime and to see them celebrate and to hear our fans celebrate. You, you can't, you can't put a price on that. You can never replicate that.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's move on. Before we get to the other big games, I want to talk a little bit uh, about two games. I think that were uh, important in uh, I won't say got pushed to the side because I don't think the Cajuns game got pushed to the side because, um, I think the Sun Belt is doing a really good job this year with graphics and promoting all the football programs. I don't know if they've got a new person in the office or what, but they're doing, uh, I've complained about them in the past, but I think right now they're doing a hell of a job. So, but the, uh, the game, uh, the Cajuns game, 49 points in the second half.
1: Yeah, I had no um, idea, you guys. I, I figured you had won. I honestly didn't see the final score, and I didn't know you were down 14 nothing at halftime. I had no idea.
0: Well, and I didn't know how much you'd follow that, so I was going to say our game had an hour and something uh, lightning delay, never a rapid drop of rain.
1: I, I, do remember Russ, I do remember Russ saying that during the game. I remember that now.
0: So, but uh, whatever happened there? Uh, it, it it sparked the Cajuns in the second half. You know, people talk about it, it sparked the Cajuns in the second half, but we still had four minutes to halftime, and then we didn't have a halftime because we had the rain delay. The delay, they took uh, I think about four minutes, and then came back and started the second half. But you know, the Cajuns did nothing at the end of the half when they came back, and they uh they did their first drive didn't happen so scored on their last seven possessions so
1: that's a way and, to do it
0: yeah so along with along with you know along with everything i thought the sunbelt did a great job of promoting y'all win uh app state's win and marshall's win but also uh, a little shout out i mean they were all on the same graphics with the cajuns with the longest winning streak in the united states continued so i thought they did a good job
1: this is only the start of all this this, this is only scratching the surface. We will reference 2020, the COVID season. That was the genesis for a lot of this. But then that day, you beat Iowa State, Georgia State. Georgia State beat Tennessee before that. But Coastal whipped up on Kansas. Arkansas State went to beat Kansas State. And that was a big day. But yep. Saturday, you had two wins against top 10 teams. And you had a third power five victory. This is exactly what everybody was talking about when they said the Sunbelt is the potential to be the best group of five league, which it has made a even more rapid ascension to that just in the last couple of days. But when you add four new teams and you're able to see things continue to improve and you see how quick it is, there's going to be so many teams that are shying away from Sunbelt foes in the future. Whereas five years ago, the Sun Belt was looked at as a gimme. Um,
0: yeah, it, it's, you know, our game at Iowa State two years ago, that was the
1: first You dominated time. the game. It wasn't yeah. close. No. And people and that say, was a ranked team.
0: Yeah. People said that, well, you know, people made excuses and everything. Well, you had a punt return. You had a kickoff return. That was our per, first Power Five victory. Away from Cajun Field, so that was our statement. I and mean, we'll 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 see if we can continue later on in the season against Florida State. Well, let's talk about. Did you get a chance to watch South Alabama in uh, Central Michigan at all, or follow that game? We,
1: we did follow it because they were a little earlier in the day. We didn't kick until six thirty. But seeing them put up that many points in the first quarter that that's <coughs> South isn't known for doing that a whole lot, but it it looks like they found their quarterback because Carter Bradley looks like he's he's making people not miss Jake Bentley as much as I think they thought they would.
0: I, I agree. i mean twenty six or forty two three fifty four, three touchdowns um. Uh... I don't know how central, but how well central mission is going gonna, is gonna to be this year. But I can tell you one thing that, uh, the, the as, as much as it, when you w- want to look at the score, it, it you know, a 38 24 score, but it was not that close because at one point it was, uh, uh, 31 to to seven. Yeah. And, but it, I, I think, I think that was a kind of a statement when, uh, for South Alabama to the rest of the Sunbelt teams in the West. Am I well, wrong? I
1: think, I think they're tired of being the five and seven team because I, I would liken where South is right now to where Coastal was a couple of years ago. Coastal was the team that was really, really good at being five and seven. They were really good at being kind of okay, but they were just missing things. And I think Jamie Chadwell has said a number of times that. We just missed big passes. We would just miss tackles. We were close. We were in every game. South Alabama was in just about every game last year. And if they beat Coastal at the end of the season, they're bowl eligible. But they lose in double overtime. Their season's over five and seven. They were five and three. They lost their last four. They are eventually going to have a spot with what Kane Womack has done, how he's recruited, how he has been huge in that community. He makes sure that they take Mobile guys every year for that roster to get the community to buy in. They're going to get to a point, and maybe it's this year, where they are, at worst, the second-best team in the West. Yeah. And until Arkansas State figures it out under Butch Jones, until Texas State realizes that they've got maybe the best resources of anybody, and I'm not just saying in the West maybe anybody, until they actually get it to click, The Cajuns are going to be on top until somebody takes the crown. But South Alabama, to me, is the most dangerous team in that division because of what they have, where it's located, finally getting the stadium on campus near the dorms. It's a walk instead of a drive, going a half hour outside of town into a not very good spot of Mobile. The indoor is there. They've got their staff. They're young. They're motivated. They're hungry. South Alabama is not a mid card team or a mid card program because of what Kane Womack has been able to do since he got there.
0: Yeah, very similar to what Georgia Southern did. Not quite the yardages, but uh, 354 in the air, 181 on the ground. Uh, I, I really like what South Alabama is doing right now. So um, I believe, let me see. Yes. Uh, I believe the Texas St a and m game was earlier in the day than than the uh notre dame game or they might have both been about the same time so but um uh, did did you expect i mean we talked about it in in and, and i know you gave everybody a chance but i really felt like app state with the emotional loss in 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 the way they played against north carolina and everything i did not expect them to hold Texas and AM to 14 points. You know, if, if, if you asked me, if you would have asked me, if you'd have told me at the beginning of the uh, before the game started, Chase Price goes 15 for 30 for 134 yards, I say App State doesn't have a chance.
1: What, what, what were you able to get from that game? Well, what App did was formulate a game plan and they stuck to it to a T. They held the ball for over 41 minutes, which is almost unheard of now, especially at a Power 5 team. I think that I want to say it was a few years ago that Army went to Oklahoma and Army held the ball for about 45 minutes. They went to overtime against a team that they shouldn't have been on the same field with. Oklahoma won the game, but Army had a game plan to not let Oklahoma dictate the tempo with their offense, and they almost picked up a win by it. That's what Appalachian State wanted to do. Texas A&M ran 38 plays in four quarters. That is less than 10 plays per quarter. App didn't do a whole lot throwing the football. Cam Peoples was impressive going for over 100 yards. But defensively, they shut A&M down. That's going to a top 10 team and a very trendy pick to be in the foot CFP this year. A lot of people have already penciled them in as being one of the four. App just went there and said, okay, watch this. What have we got to lose? And in their minds, they probably feel like they should be 2-0. and oh. They let one slip against North Carolina. They, they did. had two two-point conversions they missed, lost a crazy game against the Tar Heels. Maybe heart of hearts they thought they'd be 1-1 one and one after the first two games, probably not the way that they got it but you can tell how much that UNC loss fueled them to go to A&M and do what they did.
0: Well, they, they did the right thing. Like you said, it fueled them instead of uh, bringing them down uh, three for five on fourth down three for four in the red zone. And the interesting part is on, on, uh, on A&M's two touchdowns, none of them came in the end zone. They were, they uh, in the end zone, the red zone, they, they didn't get into the red zone at all, all day. So. Uh, this app state team is going to be tough, so uh, let's move on to the Notre Dame Marshall game, then we'll take a break. Uh, you're listening, and we're talking with Craig Melanson and Danny Reed of Georgia Southern Sports Network. Uh, Georgia, Georgia uh, shoot, Marshall and Notre Dame. I, I asked you if they had a chance, and and you said yes, and I kind of giggled underneath my breath again and and kind of – but Marshall, I think, very big statement win for them. I, I, and I, People can say Notre Dame is down or whatever they want to say. They are still a premier power five team.
1: Well, all of a sudden, last year, a lot was made out of Marcus Friedman getting a chance to be the head coach of Notre Dame – at just 35 years old, and now quickly he has lost his first three games. It's it's unsettling to look at it that way because he took over for the bowl game. They had a huge lead against Oklahoma State and then lost that contest, and now this year begins. They got Ohio State. They're competitive, but that was going to be almost an impossible game to win in the horseshoe. And you come home, you're supposed to beat Marshall by multiple scores. Absence, but – they they run the football, and they, they get a, you get a pick six to seal the game. How cool was that? That That's was <laughs> – go ahead. I'm sorry. Just to, to see that they took the lead late was one thing. Then to basically sew it up with a pick six in the hallowed grounds where Rockney and, and Rudy and Montana and Hanratty and – and horning and everybody play is just it's it's amazing it's amazing to think that that's how that game was won
0: you know we were at our uh, tailgate spot before the game and watch and i I waited till that game was over before i went up to the booth but we i mean we were high-fiving and cheering like it was our damn team that was playing so i mean it was it was we had a good good little group there and it was it was fun to watch and yeah the pick six was just i mean I yelled a few things I probably shouldn't have with uh, women and children around, but hey, it was a good time. Um, it it, it was a game. Like I said it, it's one of those things that you watch and you follow, and you and you keep waiting for the shoe to fall where you, uh, the the team that you're pulling for doesn't win. But uh, to their to their credit, again, I don't know how the last two games that we talked about with uh with uh. Texas A&M in the, in the game against Notre Dame, uh, 140 yard, five yards passing for Marshall. I, I I guess that's how you win the game is, is, is run the ball, control it and and move things and play good defense. So.
1: And if you make a mistake, just make sure it doesn't cost you the game. Exactly.
0: So Danny, let's take a quick break that we're going to come back and talk briefly about this upcoming week's schedule. And, uh, and we'll, uh, Been listening to We're Talking with uh, Craig Melanson and Danny Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Welcome back into We're Talking. We're talking football, Sunbelt Conference football with Danny Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Danny, let's start at the top. The first one, the early game, Old Dominion going to Virginia. I, I mean, I know Old Dominion doesn't look good at times, and I know they beat Virginia Tech, and Virginia lost to Illinois, who I don't think is a very good Big Ten team. Does What does Old Dominion have to I, I'm not going to say do they have a chance anymore because we saw what happened this weekend. What does Old Dominion need to do to beat Virginia? Do you know much about either team?
1: I know Virginia's been struggling a little bit. They've they've got one of the better quarterbacks in the country, and Brennan Armstrong, and they're up tempo. They try to throw the football, but they've, they've they've had some issues getting going so far this year. What I think about with Old Dominion is they're going to play off their defense. So last week they didn't look good at all against East Carolina. They couldn't keep the momentum from Bottech. Amazing win. Second time they've beaten him since 2018. But East Carolina handled that game and they were really never in doubt in that game. For old Dominion, their defense has to be good because their offense is more of a let's control the clock and let's pick our spots. Look, they've got some good individual talent. Running back Blake Watson, tight end Zach Koontz, Whiteout Ali Jennings. Three of the best in the Sun Belt at their positions. But they have difficulty putting a lot of points together they knew to beat virginia tech it had to be a low scoring game and even so they needed to scoop and score off a botch on special teams just to do that now look they did score the game winning touchdown with under a minute left they put themselves in good position because of a jennings catch but they had difficulty scoring a lot of points so they need to win in a very specific way their defense though was really good especially against the run they are going to need to maximize every possession they get. I don't know how many times they're going to get the ball, but they're going to have to find a way to maximize the times that they do get the football.
0: Okay. Um, uh, I'm going to skip some of these other ones because I don't think they're necessarily good matchups for one reason or the other. But South Alabama heading to UCLA, um, I think this is a great opportunity, not only for the Jaguars, but, but the conference to pick up an, another win. I don't know if they can. I, I don't know enough about UCLA as far as I know they played an FCS team and Alabama state, I believe. And I forgot who they picked, played their other game. So um, is, is this an opportunity for the Sunbelt again? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know that was a stupid question. I,
1: well, part of what they're going to deal with, look, we know the Rose Bowl is one of the most gorgeous settings in all of college football, but it's not like UCLA's packing the place. It, it is going to be a diff- different and challenging environment to go out to Los Angeles and try to pull that off. But the 2-0, they shouldn't be overwhelmed by what they're going to play in front of because there's better environments in the Sun Belt. There's quite a few from what you feel on the field than out in Pasadena. Look, the setting, you're not going to find very many places anywhere where the setting is more picturesque. You mean, When the sun sets at the Rose Bowl every year, it's just, holy, holy cow, it's phenomenal, the pictures that end up getting spread around every year. But when it's UCLA hosting a game, you've got your scenery, but it's not like it's the same environment. Now, is UCLA going to be predicted to win? Of course. But South Alabama should not be overwhelmed by what they're walking into. And I actually would say they've got a decent chance to win the game.
0: Yeah, I, I, I was told and kind of looked at pictures that there were about 6,000 people at UCLA's last game. So I don't, you know, it is what it is. Um Arkansas state going to Memphis. I think this is, I don't like, we talked about earlier. I don't think uh, uh, Butch Jones is ready yet with this team. I think he's got a lot of work to do. The question will become, do they give him enough time? Because I don't think three years is enough time to turn around how bad that team was. So uh, after, you know, does he get a fourth year, but heading to Memphis, I think is an opportunity. Cause I don't think Memphis is as good this year. But at the same, team, I, same time, I still think they're a better team than Arkansas State.
1: The, this is when you refer to regional rivalries. It, it doesn't get a whole lot more intense for two teams that aren't in the same league. I mean, we know when we go to Arkansas State, if you got to fly in, you're flying into Memphis and you're taking about an hour drive to get to Jonesboro. This is a cool matchup because it, it's pretty heated despite Memphis owning the better part of the series and I, I want to say that when they m- matched up either last year or the year before that they hadn't played in a while but for two teams that aren't separated by a whole lot of terrain this is one where there's some animosity on both sides and for a non-conference regional rivalry that's exactly what you're hoping for because that ultimately prepares you for what you're going to see in conference play. Now, Georgia Southern doesn't see the Red Wolves this year but by virtue of being in the West you do so for us it might be 23 if Arkansas State gets back on the schedule but you're going to go in your rotator where you're only playing two teams from the other side every year. So the chances to see a team from the other division, you're not going to get very many of those. Yep.
0: Um, Troy heading in Nap State. How – I mean, I think this is a great conference matchup game. Troy, uh, when I did my prediction, I actually – Uh, thought that they would beat the Cajuns and I think I predict them to beat App State. I don't remember, but which usually means I'm going to be wrong on both accounts. So don't take money from me or you will take money from me, I should say. But how big of, I mean, how big of an early season matchup being the only conference game this week, obviously it's the biggest conference game this week, but how big of an er, uh, uh, an early matchup will this show us anything?
1: Well, think about something that's not related to the game itself. College game day is going to Boone this oh, weekend. I meant how, to mention. Awesome, how awesome is that? For not just App, but for Troy, for the league, Commissioner Gill has talked about that on a number of different platforms the last couple of days. Just the visibility for the entire league to be the spot for game day, that's phenomenal to think about.
0: It is, and I forgot all about that part of it, and it it just – it slipped my mind, but that is, that is awesome. And and I think that's going to be, that's going to be a great place. It's going to be a great setting for game day and everything. Uh, You know, we've all often kind of joked around here. If game day came, where would they set up? So, (laughs) but, but for app to pull that off, it's, it's an amazing feat. So.
1: They just need to make sure that they're not distracted by the environment, by the environment that's getting created. By game day, because there were forty thousand people there for the New North Carolina game. This is a different kind of atmosphere, a different kind of show that they're going to have to deal with all week long. ESPN goes to town all week; they get their interviews, they do their features. The free advertising that the league, Boone, App, and Troy are all going to receive. mean, you could estimate that it's multi million dollars for the league in terms of visibility, but. Apps should win this game. I don't know that it's going to be that close, but they need to make sure that what happens on the field is what is supposed to happen on the field. Troy's capable, but I don't know that they're ready to go to Boone and win that game because John is still trying to figure out the kind of head coach that he is. He knows what kind of coach he is, but coach versus head coach, I think that those are two different things, and I don't know that they're they're ready to punch up in the weight class just yet.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, final game we're going to talk about is uh, Georgia Southern heading to UAB. Is this a statement game now? I mean, in the sense of, I know you just beat Nebraska, but you've got to follow that up, in my opinion. This can't be a thing that you're distracted and, 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 and play off that one win. I'm sorry.
1: The The funny thing about last week going into it is Coach Helton said that following Morgan State, that Nebraska was – going to be a dose of reality and i said well wouldn't it be nice if that dose of reality was the reality that eagle fans wanted It it did georgia southern wins the game they end up getting to 2-0 they haven't been 2-0 since they won 10 games in 2018 and i'd argue that this is even more reality because one you got to go on the road again after a landmark victory and you got to do it against a team that is tough smash mouth program run the football, strong defense. You know exactly who UAB is when you play them, when you see them on film. You know what they represent. And they should have beaten Liberty last week comfortably, but in the rain up in Lynchburg, Virginia, they fumbled four times, lost a fumble on the first snap of the game. They fumbled again, twice in plus territory. They also lost one inside Liberty's 10. They lost by seven. They should have easily won that game by two touchdowns. Great running back tandem. Solid quarterback play. Their top receiver led the country in yards per catch last year. But defensively, when they hit you, you feel it. So for the Eagles to go into someone else's house again and do what they did on Saturday, they're going to have to turn the physicality up a couple of notches. Not that they weren't physical last week, but when you play UAB, you better be ready to deliver the first punch and a lot more punches after that.
0: Good deal. One last question. The plane ride home, I've been on a lot of those plane rides. Some have been victories, never in the sense of uh, someone like Nebraska. I wasn't on the plane after the return from Iowa State, but you were also later in the evening. I don't know what time you guys ended up getting home. It had to. Okay. So was there an opportunity for those guys to, I mean, to, you know, was, was it? Was it just a plane ride home or were they excited? I know I know, they're always excited getting on the plane, you know, but once the plane took off and everything, was it, hey, everybody's sleeping?
1: I knew that they were tired, but seeing as many smiles as we did, getting checked in for security to get on the charter, that's another thing that you, you, you can't fake that. Yeah, those those guys realize what they just did. They also realized that they expected that not maybe not the way that it went down, but they expected to go to Lincoln. Their culture was strong enough that they could come back from being down twice, beat a Big Ten team in their house. And Nebraska, remember, we talked last week, they've sold out every home game for the last 60 years. Yeah, so it's it's an experience and an environment like none other in all of college football. But for those guys, I don't think they cared that they got back at 6 a.m. They had a couple dozen Eagle fans that greeted them at the football operations center when the buses pulled in, which was was a neat thing to be able to talk about. They knew that they could celebrate it because of what it meant to those fans that traveled, those fans that were there to greet them, and what it meant for the program altogether. But it's only the second game of the season. There's a lot more that this team wants to accomplish. You need a win like that to get the national attention, but you also need to pony up week in and week out if you're going to have a sniff at the East Division, which is proving people right that it might be the toughest division in all of college football outside of the SEC West.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Danny, I appreciate your time as always, but I will, before I quit, I'm going to ask you, I've always asked you this, this I think I have, but uh, any last words of wisdom? about the upcoming week or what happened this past week?
1: Uh, You've got two more chances for the league to pick up power five victories. Old Dominion's already got one. South Alabama has one in their history. They beat Mississippi State back in 2016. But when you look around and see other teams taking a big bite out of the piece of pie, I think everybody else that hasn't had a chance to do that, they want to do it even more because they don't want to get left behind. This is a snapshot of one, what this league is capable of doing and two, where this league is headed. This league is on such an upward trajectory that even by the end of this year, I think that we're going to look back and say that this was not just the most important year for the league, but it's the best year for the league. And you need to win games like South has against UCLA, like Old Dominion has against Virginia. Let conference play be fun. Let it be the fun belt for the reasons that we already know it to be, but get wins like this and make that be even better as we get towards a possible championship matchup.
0: I know we didn't talk uh, about the Cajuns much, but you know it's one of those things that I kind of feel the Cajuns are rebuilding, but at the same time, I think with everything that has happened, if the Cajuns were to run the table and win the Sunbelt Conference Championship, but lose the Florida State, I think it would be a disappointment to a lot of Cajun fans and probably some players too. So
1: get to want to know
0: exactly one <laughs> step at a time. I know, but thank you, brother. Appreciate it as always. And we will talk next week and we'll talk some more football. So you've been listening. To We're talking with Craig Malanson and Danny Reed voice of the Georgia Southern sports network. <laughs>